0: Australia. For a country with such a small population, around a third that of the UK in case you're interested, they are great at a lot of things. Just going off the top of my head, I can think of a lengthy list of things that Australia does well. Wine. Rugby league.
1: But it is Australia who are world champions again.
0: Iconic TV soaps grown men dress in school uniforms shredding on guitar and, of course, clear-cut definitions of cutlery. That's a knife. That's a knife. But above all that, perhaps Australia's crowning glory is how well it does when it comes to international education and recruiting international students. In short, they smash it.
1: Um, well, I think Australia is really advanced when it comes to international students. It's probably the most advanced country and has been, when compared to many other countries, has been phenomenally successful and has really led the way and kind of shown the world how to do that. And 20 years ago, it was kind of a bit of a cottage industry, but now it is entirely mainstream.
0: That was Mark Pettit our tour guide for this trip down under and someone who will, by the end of this episode, have given you a great overview of why the Australian international education scene is thriving.
1: So, my name's Mark Pettit and I'm the founder of Edified.
0: Mark and Edified are great friends of us here at TAP and, honestly, we couldn't have found a better person to educate you on the international scene down under. In this, the first episode of the second season of our podcast, we're going to learn all about international education in Australia, what higher ed elsewhere in the world can learn from it, and what the future might look like.
1: There's lots of different things that you need to work on to be successful. There is no one thing that makes a difference. It's a game of one percenters. So if there's anything to learn, I think it would be anybody's really seriously interested about international education and what Australia's done, you kind of need to go and see for yourself and see all of the different elements... That are working in that long journey from first thinking about it to being an alumni.
0: From the Access Platform, I'm Dave, he's Mark, and this is a brand new season of Inspiration on Tap. Mark was due to join me in the only bookable meeting room that exists in the office space that Tap calls home. The fact that I had booked it for this conversation well in advance means I had no problem booting out the person who was using the room as their own personal office space with a flagrant disregard for the formal procedures set out to use this space. Rules are rules. And by boot out... I mean stand outside silently and awkwardly staring at them until they noticed me and then continuing to stand outside while they continued their phone call occasionally looking me right in the eyes as to say I'm a free spirit, I don't have to book rooms, I just use them Eventually they finished their call and made a gesture inviting me into the room that by rights should be mine at this point I shyly leant into the room and their eyes had a look that said Welcome to my office, how may I help you? Sorry, but I have this room booked, I said in a very British way. All right, they said. An awkward pause filled the air of the bookable room. Before at last, they started packing their things up and eventually vacated. Finally, and only 15 minutes later than I'd booked it, the room was mine. As it turns out, Mark was also running slightly later than planned, so I didn't even need to access the room at that point. But then the system would have failed, and who knows what might have happened. Sorry, where was I? All right, our podcast I met with Mark about 24 hours after he touched down on British soil. He was squeezing in a flying visit to Tap HQ before heading off to the ISEF conference in Berlin and I was lucky enough to bagsy some of his time to record this interview. We sat down, Mark, looking chic in a stylish blazer, topped off with a splash of designer stubble and not a hint of jet lag, opposite me, wearing the smartest jumper I own to try and give off that cool startup vibe, and also to hide my t-shirt with its drawing of Stephen King reimagined as a member of the Misfits, and doing my best not to succumb to the effects of being a dad to a 6-month-old baby who finds the idea of staying in bed beyond 5am ridiculous. I push record and started the interview, as I always do, with a question about my guest's career background. Now, I'll let you into a secret. The main purpose of this question is to warm my guest up, and it's usually a good way to introduce you, the listener, to the guest, even if the juicier questions come later on. I've never previously had an answer to this question that stopped me in my tracks. That is, until I met Mark.
1: I did lots of things. I lived in London for many years. I ran a jazz club here for a while was a musician in the Caribbean for a while. I taught English in Russia, so I did all sorts of things.
0: Whoa! Admittedly, anything that followed that was always going to struggle to be as cool, but here it is anyway, along with some details about Mark's company, Edified.
1: When I went to Australia, I'm originally from New Zealand, um, the very first job I got was working in a university teaching on their international program, and pretty soon I got into the international office, um, and because I'd done marketing, um, I got into the marketing of Australian universities, and um, I worked for three different universities in Australia and I ended up as the director of marketing and admissions in the international office of RMIT University and RMIT is a huge university now has 85,000 students and one of the biggest international programs I would say in the world I think they have about somewhere between 18 and 20,000 international students so I did that I call that my public service and then I left to join the private sector my private service um, and I joined a company which now you would call a startup, but we didn't have that term in 2005, so we just called it a new business. Uh, essentially running services, software-enabled services for universities. So I've pretty much spent my entire career either working in universities or working for universities or helping universities to do better. So we're essentially a consulting firm. We have three different types of clients, education providers, that's mostly universities, education promoters, those are mostly destination marketing organisations, and service providers to the higher ed sector, so any company that has something to sell to universities. With education providers and promoters, we help them get better results with three things, student acquisition, student retention, and student success. And with service providers, we help them with three things, which is client acquisition, client retention, and client success. And we do all of that through the student lens. So we're always thinking about what's going to give a student a successful outcome. So when we're thinking about helping a university get a better result, we're thinking, how do they help the student get a better result? So that's that's where a bit different I think from other consulting firms. And we always start with a result in mind. So we always start with what's the outcome they want to achieve, and we help them do the consultancy part, and then we assist them with the delivery. And we very often bring third-party providers and service providers, and we work in partnership with them, and then we help both parties be successful. And the only way they can be successful together is by helping students be successful. So in a perfect world, all three parties are successful.
0: To start off, I wanted Mark to give me an overview of Australia's higher education scene, what it's like as a place of study, and what any notable differences there might be to, say, the UK and the US.
1: Um, Well, I think Australia is really advanced when it comes to international students. It's probably the most advanced country and has been, when compared to many other countries, has been phenomenally successful and has really led the way and kind of shown the world how to do that. And 20 years ago, it was kind of a bit of a cottage industry. But now it is entirely mainstream. In fact, um, international education is Australia's third biggest export earner, and that is well known in the government. Where I come from is the state of Victoria, and it's actually the second biggest income generator for the state. So it is totally on the mainstream agenda. Uh, Working in a university, international offices used to be considered just this sort of thing in the corner that you didn't want to know about. And now very often that's mainstream part of the conversation and international student revenue could could well be and often is the biggest part of the the revenue pool. So I think that's a big difference between UK uh, and Australia and US and US is a um, very different beast. I think the experience might be similar studying in a university in Australia or New Zealand, but I think from what I know the surrounding support services are more advanced in Australia.
0: It was then time to talk specifically about the international scene. And in preparation for our interview, Mark had promised me plenty of stats to share, and, well, I'm pleased to report he did not disappoint.
1: Well, Australia currently, uh, as of today, has around about 770,000 international students, like, today. Uh, last year, Australia actually overtook the UK and the number of international students in the country, and Australia is a third of the population, and so it's about 25 million. I think UK is something like 60 million round about that so on the on the numbers you could say australia if you're having a competition you would say australia does three times better than the uk uh the usa a couple of years ago crossed the one million student mark and huge celebrations like we finally got a million students but australia is not even as big as california so australia hits way above its weight on any measure when it comes to international student recruitment
0: and where do australia's international students come from is it because obviously for uk listeners and i guess for us as well it's quite a wide range of countries. Obviously, they're, they're the same ones tend to come up at the top of the list all the time, but it, it's, it tends to be pretty much from anywhere. Yeah. Is the Australian international scene like that, or is it or does it tend to be a smaller group of countries? that?
1: No, it's really diverse, probably 150 different countries that students come from. But, you know, India and China will always be the biggest. They're just the biggest countries, billion-plus people in both of those countries. So you're always going to expect to have more students from those countries. But it is pretty diverse. Lots of students come from Latin America, many from Europe, from North America, from all over Southeast Asia. And so I think it, you know, it's a really interesting mix of students. Also, it's worth keeping in mind that Australia, particularly in the big cities, is a migrant country, really. And so there's lots of Viet- – where I'm very close to where I live, there's a big Vietnamese community. And I think that those local communities have been quite instrumental, incidentally – in making Australia an attractive destination because it's quite common for a student from Vietnam to have a relative in
0: Melbourne. I get the sense there's also a real buy-in for international students, sort of at a state and a, and a territory level and even at a city level. Am I right in, in thinking on those lines?
1: Yeah, that's right. There are a lot of what's called destination marketing organisations in Australia. So these are organisations which are charged with promoting a particular area specifically for international students. So at the federal level, Austrade does that and they run a website called study in australia but every single state has its own destination marketing organization and even some cities and even some towns have theirs you might not want to put all of this on your tape but i'll just read through how many there are so there's study in australia there's study perth study adelaide study melbourne study new south wales study tasmania study nt that's northern territories there's study queensland
0: Nope, he's not done yet that's not a list This
1: is a list. In Queensland, there's Study Gold Coast, Study Brisbane, Study Toowoomba, Study Ipswich, Study Cairns, Study Townsville, Study Sunshine Coast and Study Rockhampton. So those are all organisations that are dedicated to promoting the destination exclusively for education. And some of them have started moving into delivering services for students when they arrive, like support services.
0: Okay. So there's a lot of buy-in at
1: at the state and and city level.
0: I guess we've pretty much got a sense of the the overview of the international scene. Is is there anything else important to to international recruitment in Australia, I don't know, from a a policy or a strategic or a a regulatory point of view that, that people need to be aware of?
1: International education is tied quite closely to migration. So firstly, if you want to study in any country in the world, you'll need a visa. So there's a migration side to getting the visa. And Australia, on and off, has tied student visas closely to permanent residency. And that depends on the political climate. But for many years, there was a fairly direct and articulated link between basically saying, if you come and study in Australia, you've got a good chance of becoming a permanent resident. For a time, there was fairly definite pathways. Now there are pathways. They're not quite as clear. They're a little bit more murky but that is definitely at the senior levels of government that's understood as a lever that can be used to increase the number of international students.
0: When it comes to the appeal of studying in Australia, there are plenty of blindingly obvious reasons that come to mind, most of them coming with some combination of sunshine, blue skies and beaches, But the Aussie lifestyle is far from the only thing attracting international students. As Mark explained, international students are well looked after and often have the chance to stick around after their studies.
1: Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. So if you're putting aside lifestyle and, you know, beaches, etc, it's a safe country. Everything's in English. It's really easy to negotiate your way around. There's not that many cities, like in the UK you have God knows how many cities and lots of universities in different cities, whereas Australia has you know, basically five big cities with at least five universities in each city. So it's more concentrated, so it's easier for organic services to build up, like purpose-built student accommodation, support services, international student-friendly kind of shops and things to do. So it's appealing from that point of view. Also, from Southeast Asia and much of Asia, it's really close. You know, some parts of Australia are on the same time zone. Flight's are not that far. It's not that expensive. And Australia has a lot of world-ranking universities, so students who are ranking conscious can go to, you know, a university in the top 100, even in the top 50. So it's got a lot going for it, I think. And it is open for business. Like, Australian universities actively want international students and are putting on services that make it appealing for international students to come, and that's backed up by state and city organisations like where I live in Melbourne, Study Melbourne is really, really active in what they do, not just in promoting education in the city, but also they run, they have a whole office dedicated just to international students where if you have any problem, you can come into the office and they'll do their best to help you. So that's a fairly new idea, I think. And all of these things incrementally add up to a fairly compelling proposition.
0: Hmm. And you've mentioned already about the fact there's there's support available for international students in Australia. Is is there anything in the Australian sector that is particularly different from what support might be available for international students in, go, going to study in other countries?
1: Well, I, I couldn't comment on other countries because I don't know them that well. I just know that Australia, and even in, and in New Zealand too, there is a real push at lots of different levels, government, to make it a success. And you start to feel that on the ground. And I think incrementally those things make a difference for yeah. students.
0: And, and you mentioned earlier about sort of what happens after graduation and, and potential pathways to becoming a resident and things like that. I mean, do, do international students just tend to stick around or tend, tend to want to stick around when, when they're done studying in Australia?
1: Uh, some do, some don't. Some quick, just finish study, that's it, first plane home. Um, and there's a, there's a large section of students who want to stay on. At the moment, if you do a degree in Australia, you're pretty much guaranteed to get a two-year stay visa which for working rights. Uh, The government's just introduced new regulation. If you're in a regional area, which and that definition is varied and there's lots of lobbying, like Perth has just managed to get themselves to be nominated as a region, even though they're quite a big city, you get additional incentives and you can stay for longer afterwards and you are more likely to have success if you apply for permanent residence. So I think that that possibility is really appealing to some students but not all.
0: So obviously one of the reasons it got you got you on the podcast is because you are so embedded in in the Australian scene. I'd be really keen to hear some examples you've got of of Australian universities that are just doing really great things when it comes to international students.
1: Well it depends what the what you mean by that if they're really great at student recruitment or really great at delivering services. I think it's pretty mixed. Uh, Some universities are particularly good at one thing UniSA, that's University of South Australia, they stick in my mind as a really, really strong international office that has got a lot of things right, and there's lots of things to get right. So, you know, everything from the way you present yourself to the world, the way you work with your partners, the way you work with your agents, the way you communicate, all of the documentation, the assistance you give and the support you give. So it's not easy to do a good job, but they stick in my mind as a university that's had really good management for quite a number of years and have really just incrementally made everything work incrementally better. And they're really, really seeing the results of that now.
0: One area where Australian universities are frequently doing good things is in their use of technology. Let's face it, Australia is a long way from a large proportion of the world. So taking advantage of anything that can take their campuses to the pockets of international students thousands of miles away has to be appealing, right? For Mark... This willingness to embrace technology is part of the Australian way.
1: Yeah, well, there's lots of different ways from recruitment and to delivery, online delivery, etc. I think Australians are, by nature, fairly willing to take a risk and give things a try. So they've been relatively adventurous. I mean, universities, by their nature, are not particularly adventurous, but they've been fairly quick to adopt things and give things a try and a relatively high acceptance of intolerance tolerance of failure.
0: With talk of technology comes the absolutely pre-planned and not at all accidental opportunity to talk about what we do at TAP. In case you didn't know, we make technology, specifically a platform to help universities with peer recruitment. That is, working with your current students and getting them to help you recruit new ones. It's kind of our thing and it's something we're very passionate about. Luckily, Mark is a fan too.
1: Yeah, I mean... You would probably know better than I do how how it's going for you. But when I've talked to Australian universities about the idea of a peer recruitment platform, they instantly understand what that is and are instantly interested. Now, there might be internal barriers that stop them from doing it, you know, technology barriers, et cetera. But uh, I don't think I've spoken to a university who didn't understand the idea and didn't like it.
0: Mm -hmm. And what about your thoughts on on peer recruitment, like taking all your experience from the sector is is the notion of peer recruitment is it something that excites you I was going to ask if it's something you advocate for but it, yeah. it sounds like you already are I mean do, yeah. do you see the power in it
1: Yeah totally I mean when I I've, I've always thought peer recruitment is really important and when I used to run an international office even then I had this like this is like 15 years ago I had this idea of getting some of the students who were on internships into our office to make little videos about themselves and post their life because I thought that students they kind of have two conversations. They want to have a formal conversation with the university about entrance requirements and will I be accepted and is this the course the right one for me? But they also want to have a conversation with their peers. And I was trying to create a way that they might be able to do that. I hadn't even thought about chat. I just wanted to create that, that connection. So I think peer recruitment is something that's happened organically forever, which is friends are ringing up friends and saying, what's it like there? And they say, it's good. So when I first saw TAP, I was very excited by that idea because... It allows students who don't have friends to basically get access to the friends. And I also thought universities need a way to allow authentic interactions to happen but still have some sort of monitoring and control over them. And that was something that I never figured out when I was at a university is can you let students just say whatever they want but still have it as part of your university? So I think TAP's a really interesting mix because you allowing students to do what they want but you're also somehow moderating it and being allowing the university to be proud of what's being said, not just you know all over the place.
0: And I guess it, I guess it really works for where we are right now as well. I mean, young people want that authentic message. They, young people today, it's, it's often said that they're they're almost becoming oblivious to marketing. They can smell corporate marketing a mile off. They they want. They want to see them. They want to work out if they can see themselves at a particular institution, don't they? And I guess that's where the where the power is.
1: Yeah. Well, I was reading the other day. There's this interesting phenomenon. It's called the rise of the stealth applicant, which is a funny term for what it is when you find out what it is. So a stealth applicant is an applicant who's has never appears in any of your other databases until they apply. So they don't inquire to you. You don't have a record of them on searching your web They never sent you an email. They never turned up at a show, but they just applied. So. I think there is a whole set of students, younger students, who they don't want all of those things that universities think they want. They don't want to be barraged with information. They make their decisions in a different way. They do their own homework. But they definitely do want to talk to current students.
0: We'll be back to find out more about the challenges facing the international education scene in Australia and how they might be overcome, as well as more mildly amusing links from me right after this. Tap offers no guarantee that my links will actually be amusing. For this ad, I really wanted to give you a sense of what the access platform can do to you, but it's quite tough to demonstrate an online tool in a podcast, so please allow me some creative freedom. Anyway, at the crux of what we do is facilitating questions and conversations, namely allowing prospective students to ask your current students all the burning questions about life at your university. I can't replicate that exactly here, but I can ask my colleagues at Tap HQ to describe our company in three words, and then shove a microphone under their mouths to record their answers. Which is what I did. Mm. Um, I it as well, do I? Um, <laughs> so much
1: pressure. Smart and energetic. Fun and friendly. Um, oh, I really want
0: to reuse fun. Like a family. Enjoyable. That's such a boring word. Yeah, I'm just gonna use fun. So I need to say them all at the same time. Original, fast paced, and fun.
1: Fun, adaptive, and. Cr- oh, And I thought.
0: Fun, adaptive, creative. It's <laughs> like some great listening material. If you want to help prospective students get the answers to their questions about your university, you don't need to record cheesy ads like this. Just use the Access Platform and have the ability to facilitate peer-to-peer chats, curate and publish user-generated content, and source student-answered FAQs in just a few clicks. We're already working with universities in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, USA and beyond, and we'd love to work with you too. Book a demo now at theaccessplatform.com. back before the break we'd got access to the room that we'd booked learned about mark's past as a jazz club owner and gathered an overview of the australian international education scene and learned why it's such an appealing prospect all pretty rosy right Sure, but that's not to say International Education Australia doesn't have its share of challenges ahead. Just the smallest amount of research will serve up warnings that Australia is too reliant on Chinese students and that there is incoming increased competition from other countries. For Mark, these challenges are fair, but also not necessarily new. And there are also opportunities out there.
1: Yes, they are fair challenges, and they are challenges that are not new particularly the increasing competition. When I was running an international office, that was sort of the start of every report. And yet, in spite of increasing competition from countries like Germany and Sweden and the United States as well, Australia still managed to grow on average over the years. China is a particular risk. And when I was doing this, India was the risk. And everybody thought it would crash eventually. And it did. Um, and I think it's only a matter of time that something happens with China. The interesting thing about international education is that you are, as a university, you are kind of stuck. You're beholden to government policies around the world. So if something changes, if Australian government makes a change to visa policy or settings, that really affects you. Chinese government might any day now say, we don't recognise Australian qualifications. So there's, you kind of have to be ready for that. It's an inevitability that something will shift and it might not be China, it'll be something else. So yeah, I think there are challenges ahead. I don't quite know how, but Australia seems to, on average, have kind of continued to grow and slip through the noose of the you know, big challenges in the past. I suspect that's because around the world, in many developing countries, just the sheer number of students, young people under 25 who are entering the middle class is increasing every year. So the volume is just so huge that even if something goes wrong, the numbers coming behind the next year and the next year will make up for it.
0: I was, I was going to ask like, how you thought the sector might respond to those challenges, but it, I get the sense it's almost like it just feels like potentially the Australian way is just to, just to have confidence in what they're doing and keep going and just reacting accordingly.
1: Yeah. I mean, a, another big topic of conversation is you know the Uber of education, what's coming, what, what's the big disruptor. It was going to be MOOCs. MOOCs were going to be the end of universities. They're not. They barely touched anything. There's a lot of support and interest in ed tech and people wondering, you know, our university is going to be made irrelevant by some sort of technology play or some sort of ubiquitous service that changes everything. So far, I haven't seen anything that I think would do that, and I keep my eyes open all the time. That's one of the things I do is look out for what, you know, new technology. I suspect that some really interesting players will come into the market, but they're most likely to be somehow absorbed into the university structure um, and not become the thing in itself. I think it's really, really hard to replicate the university experience digitally. How do you replicate being with people of your own age for three years in this kind of dynamic, slightly crazy environment? It's really hard to do that online. You can have the information, you can do the work, but it's not the same as the experience.
0: So on the flip side to the challenges then, what what opportunities might there be for for uh, Australia to expand its its international provision in the coming years?
1: Well, Australia has a lot of transnational programs running, so they already run programs all over the world, sometimes in partnership and sometimes in wholly owned campuses. Um, I think we're likely to see that continue. I think online education provision is going to get better. Uh, the experience is going to be better. I think we're looking at kind of live streaming of classes and connecting students with their student peers around the world and allowing for a kind of global classroom. I think that's going to be interesting. Apart from that, Nobody knows.
0: One of the biggest things I wanted to know from Mark is what people from higher ed scenes outside of Australia can learn from what's going on down under. The good news is that there are absolutely things to learn. The even better news is that to maximise your learning, you'll need to dig out your passport.
1: Well, I think there's, there's lots of learnings. It is, you know, education, particularly university education, is an extremely complex product. Firstly, Just because you want it doesn't mean you can have it. But like a mortgage, you have to go through an application process. It is a really significant life decision. It's really an expensive decision. And it's something that you do for a long time. You might do for three years, two years, one year, but it's a long time that you're doing it. And the other unique characteristic is that you start as a prospect, you become a student, you become part of the university, and then you actually become the product of the university, which is I I can't think of another thing like that. Normally you buy a computer, you own the computer. When you go to university, you as a graduate, you are actually the the product. And so there's a lot of years of stuff that happens. There's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of parts to the experience. So there's lots of different things that you need to work on to be successful. There is no one thing that makes a difference. It's a game of one percenters. So if there's anything to learn, I think it would be anybody's really seriously interested about international education and what australia's done you kind of need to go and see for yourself and see all of the different elements that are working in that long journey from first thinking about it to being an alumni
0: there you go travel budget signed off by mark just for you he even said he'd show you around personally
1: i'll give you a personal tour
0: So, our time was almost up. Not because of the steady stream of other people from our shared office space hoping to nab the bookable meeting room outside the clearly set system, though. Rules are rules, and the room was still officially mine for at least another 10 minutes. No. It was more because Mark had other places to be and other people to see, as well as a 10,500 mile flight to recover from and a hugely important conference to prep for. He'd been more than generous with his time, so now it was over to me to start wrapping things up. And I knew exactly how to do that. The whole premise of this conversation had been to understand why Australia is so good at international recruitment and international education. Now was as good a time as any to ask that very question, which is what I did.
1: Well, I don't know if there's one particular reason. And I think partly it's been by necessity. Government in Australia has slowly reduced funding for universities, you know, sort of incrementally over a number of years and told universities they need to find alternative sources of revenue and international students are probably the most obvious and the easiest one. So they've kind of been pushed into it. I don't think any university in Australia would have got into this game if there wasn't a financial imperative i don't think it would have started that way it might have kind of done it in a soft way for internationalization reasons i think australia has been pretty good at getting into partnerships and so that's been a driver of the success you know they've worked really strongly with agents and um, other delivery partners around the world so the question is why i honestly don't know why I couldn't say that there's a defining reason.
0: And finally then, as another person carrying their laptop looked hopefully at the bookable meeting room, saw us using it and swiftly changed direction as if they didn't even want to use that room anyway, I had one last question for Mark. I wanted him to stare into his crystal ball and give me his prediction for the future of international education in Australia. Unsurprisingly, he sees more good things.
1: Well, I would say that 770,000 students can't be wrong. Like they can't all be wrong. They can't have all made a bad choice. So I think Australia has made itself in many ways attractive to international students, not just the courses but the surrounding environment and surrounding policy settings and their willingness to work when, on a commercial basis and work in a certain way and open their doors to international students. So I, I don't see that changing. That is fairly well established you know, in all levels of government and even into society. There's a relatively good understanding about that. I think Australia is just going to continue to get better at it and particularly better at the student experience side. There's a lot of conversations about that in Australia at the moment, and really interesting conversations about employability, or if I make it more broadly, about helping students be successful not just in their studies, but in their lives afterwards, particularly the direct, you know, the subsequent year after that. So I think Australia is going to not only improve its ability to recruit students, but also its ability to give them a really great experience and a really great outcome.
0: Great. Mark, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Mark Pettit is a regular speaker at education conferences and is the founder of Edified, a higher education consultancy based in Melbourne, Australia. Find Mark on LinkedIn and learn more about Edified at edified.com.au. With that, I packed up and, in a deliciously ironic twist, left Mark in the bookable room despite him not having booked it. I know, someone was due to be in there in another half hour or so, but by now the rest of the floor had abandoned their casual walks past on the off chance it was free. Mark could use it to catch upon emails before the order demanded by the room booking system was finally restored. I said at the top of the episode that Australia's crowning glory is how it fares in international education and international recruitment. Having picked Mark's brains, that feels even more true now. Australia punches above its weight compared to other higher ed sectors around the world, has done for years in fact, and looks set to continue doing so in spite of some very real challenges. If you work in international education or recruitment, there is a lot to be learned from down under, and I hope this episode has at least given you some food for thought. Because from an Australian point of view, that's not how you should do international education. This is how you do international education. I'm Dave, he was Mark, and you've been listening to Inspiration on Tap. That was Inspiration on Tap, a podcast brought to you by The Access Platform. The Access Platform is a peer recruitment tool that enables universities to connect their student ambassadors with prospective students wherever they are in the world. Find out more about us and book a demo at theaccessplatform.com. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dave Musson, and my guest was Mark Pettit, founder of the consultancy Edified. Find Mark on LinkedIn and find out more about Edified at edified.com.au. Our theme tune and ad music were written for us by Laptop Philharmonic. Find more of his music on Spotify or at laptopphilharmonic.bandcamp.com. Other music was by Blue Dot Sessions and is used under Creative Commons. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a thing from us in the future and so you can easily and quickly find Season 1. There's some great stuff in there too. Also, if you did enjoy this episode and you're able to leave us a rating or review, that would be most appreciated. If you didn't enjoy this episode, but you're still listening right to the bitter end, well, I admire your stubbornness. Take care, catch you next time.